Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Great to see you again. Nice to see you. You seem you seem a little more relaxed than usual, if you don't mind my saying. Uh, what, what's going on? Oh, it's on? the lack it's the lack of sleep. Oh, Jake. is that it is? It's okay. Just, it's just ground me, just ground me into the ground, and you've surrendered. Yeah, I'm just I can't I can't fight it. I'm just so tired. Well, as many of our <laughs> listeners know, uh, you have a baby in your household uh, just as of a few months ago, and uh, I understand right. you had a you had a milestone evening uh, recently. Tell us about yes, that. Yes, we did. So for the first time ever, uh, the baby is three a little over three months. The, for the first time ever. The baby mama, who is my sister, and I left the baby with a sitter to go out of the house and watch a movie. We went to a screening of Shang-Chi, and it's a new Marvel movie with a predominantly Asian cast. It was fantastic. Any of you who haven't seen it, go see it. But it was the first time we left the baby, and for us, it was fine. For the sitter, <laughs> eh, yeah, we tipped, we tipped a lot. Oh, the sitter, oh gosh. The sitter was, yeah, she went through it. No, I've heard, I've heard of people who have uh, relatively new babies like that, that the first time they go out, it, 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 it's hard for them to enjoy being out because they're worried or they feel guilty. Was that your experience as well? No. Well, first of all, we were like half asleep in the lift <laughs> on the way there. We were so tired. Uh, and the movie was really enjoyable. And my sister even said she, you know, she said she had heard about new mothers that leave their, mm. their babies for the first time and they cry. They cry from the separation anxiety. The, the mothers, not the babies. Phone. The mothers yeah, cry. The, yeah, 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 the mothers cry. The, the babies are automatically crying, but yeah. the mothers like weep yeah. for being away from the. And she was like, I don't know who these biatches are because <laughs> I am like ready to get away from this baby. <laughs> yeah. And we couldn't even check the phone because it was a it was a pre uh, it was a screening mm-hmm. before the movie is out uh, in, in general release. So they actually made us put our phones in one of those lock-up baggies right. where you're not allowed to check your phone. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even check the phone for the entire, like, two and a half hours of the movie, and she, we were fine. I mean, the baby was a mess, but we were fine. <laughs> well, that's what's important. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that milestone, and we look forward to many more. <laughs> Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and, frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. He is a writer and producer whose work includes Jimmy Kimmel Live and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and is the host of the podcast, I Said No Gifts. It's Bridger Weiniger. Hello, Bridger Weiniger. Oh, hello. How are you two? Bridger, it's so wonderful to have you here. We had put the call out on Twitter, who do you want to have on the show? And people said Bridger Weiniger, and we're happy to satisfy our listeners and have you here. <laughs> I can see why they wanted to have you on the show. People are out of control. They are out of control. Helen mentioned that you had worked on Jimmy Kimmel Live. You actually worked on a bunch of different talk shows. You interned at Letterman. You interned at Ferguson, then became a PA. And uh, on Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show, he really kind of put you to work. How did you like being on camera at first? Because it seemed very uncomfortable in the clips that I've watched. It never stopped being uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was put on camera almost naked at point. 
What? Yeah, I was going to mention. Well, he, he put you in a lot of different costumes. How exactly did you end up on camera in a grass skirt and coconut bra? I wrecked his car. What? So I was, uh, you know, I was a PA and had jobs like that that I had to do. One of those was driving Craig's car to various places. And at one point, I was pulling out of his house and ran into a giant pole. <laughs> And then reversed and ran back into the pole and then pulled forward and ran into the pole. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) But it was not my fault. It was an enormous car and a very small driveway. I don't accept any of the blame. And that pole, you should have seen, was just barreling through the neighborhood (laughs) at record speeds. (laughs) I ended up on camera for about two weeks after almost, you know, in various states of undress. (laughs) Uh, But... I was making no money at the time as a PA, so you got paid every time you were on TV a little extra money. So I was like, mm. look, I, I'm getting paid for to wreck your car, so fantastic. Nice. <laughs> it all worked out. You went on to write on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, does being a PA change how you treat PAs when you're a writer on a show? Oh, my God, yes. I mean... I know a lot of a lot of wonderful writers out there who have never had a real job outside of writing before. <laughs> I really value the time I worked as a PA and various other jobs where I could appreciate how awful all work is. I'm always, even now, looking out because I know that job is thankless. Mm-hmm. You had said in an interview that uh, Jimmy Kimmel was actually the best boss in the world. Uh, what made uh, Jimmy such a great boss? He's an angel on earth. He's the sweetest man, the most thoughtful person. Before I worked for Jimmy Kimmel, I was deeply closeted. I got on that show, and for the first time, really, I will credit him until I die for basically turning my life around. And he runs his uh, show like a family business, so I just adore him. Very nice. Uh, You actually got to have him as a guest on your podcast, I Said No Gifts. Uh, We'll talk about the podcast itself in a minute, but what was it like having your former boss on the show? Um, It was exciting. It was a real shift in the power dynamic. It was... uh... (laughs) I was, you know, when I worked for him, despite him being incredible and wonderful, I have a real fear of authority and getting in trouble and not doing well. So I barely ever really spoke to him, like, outside of meetings and that kind of thing. And I, whenever I did, I was afraid he was, I was like, well, I'm going to say something stupid and he's going to fire me. So once I made it out alive <laughs> and moved on, and then uh, had Then him you on. could say all the stupid things Right, I got, I was like, Jimmy, welcome to the show. And we really got into it. <laughs> The show is called I Said No Gifts, uh, based on the premise that you tell people not to bring gifts, and yet, somehow, uncannily, everyone seems to bring you a gift. It's really gone too far at this point, and (laughs) it's driving me out of my mind. Recently, Baron Holtz brought me really beautiful balsamic vinegar. Jimmy Kimmel gave me a volleyball. Will Arnett gave me a gift card to Target just to spite me. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun surprise every week. And as if people needed more of a reason to listen, tell us who does your theme song and how you got that to happen. Oh, Amy Mann, who is truly in my mind, and, I mean, not in just my mind, I, I think in a lot of people's minds, a legend. Just for a long shot, I needed a theme song, and I texted her, and I said, Amy, would you do this? And for whatever reason, she agreed <laughs> to do it. And she did an amazing job, of course. And I like, I it, look, the podcast, maybe the part where I'm talking is probably very annoying, but the first 40 seconds of the show, <laughs> you get an Amy Mann song. So and it's... it counts as a download and a listen if people listen for about 40 seconds. <laughs> so that really is all that you need. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about, I saw in an old bio of yours, it said that uh, one of your 
claims to fame is you were a terrible employee at the Apple store. Uh, <laughs> is that true? And uh, if so, what made you such a terrible employee? I was hired without having ever owned an Apple product outside of an iPod. <laughs> oh, no. Not exactly a genius bar candidate. <laughs> No, absolutely not. I was essentially just lying to customers. Look, I don't know that that's the experience at all Apple stores, but if you came to me as an employee at the Apple store, you were not getting the information you needed. Well, we're certainly glad that you came to us here today, Bridger Weiniger. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Helen, against whom will Bridger be competing? She is a comedian and author whose work has appeared in McSweeney's, The New Yorker, and The Atlantic, and whose scripted podcast, Yes, We Mustard, is available on Audible. It's Ginny Hogan. Hi, Ginny Hogan. Hi, it's so great to be here. Oh, likewise. It's so great to have you. Yes, we mustard. I was reading the description of this show. As we record this, I'm sorry to say I've not been able to listen, but when the show is out, people can definitely go listen to all the episodes uh, on Audible. But the description of the show and the fact that it was based on your personal experience blew me away. Tell us what the show is and how you are extra qualified to have written it. The show is about a woman who works at a mustard tech startup. So this company thinks that they're saving the world by using high tech to create better mustard. (laughs) And she really buys into the mission. And then, you know, she discovers some secrets about the company and things go wildly awry. This is about uh, my experience. I worked in Silicon Valley for three years. I worked at a bunch of different uh, companies. But one thing I, I took from it is that the less serious the product seemed to be, the more serious everyone took it. You know, like I worked at Instagram and I watched like these like middle aged men like have the most intense meetings where they're yelling at each other about like why users delete too many photos. And I'm just like, why could who care? Like who could possibly wow. care about this? But just like the seriousness with which they take the absolute dumbest things, that's kind of was the inspiration for the show. I think show. there's some parallel in, in Hollywood as well. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I, I believe I, it. Yeah. Before I was an actor, I worked uh, behind the scenes in reality TV. And wow, people take that real serious. <laughs> yeah, I am not surprised. Well, uh, that work uh, in the tech industry segued you nicely into uh, doing writing. We mentioned some of the outlets that you'd been in, like The New Yorker and The Atlantic, McSweeney's. Was there one particular outlet where when you saw yourself published there, you were like, holy crap, I'm a writer? Definitely The New Yorker. Unfortunately, I don't even think I had the thought like, holy crap, I'm a writer. But like, I definitely was like, oh, wow, I never thought this would happen. I always feel like I there's like room to grow in, mm-hmm. in what I write for them. And so it never really feels like complete, which is maybe more my own like, you know, like neuroses. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> well, am I really a New Yorker writer yet? I need to come up with so many new ideas. But yeah, I love writing for yeah, them. D- well, your writing of these comedic essays led to this wonderful book called Toxic Femininity in the Workplace. And I understand you're working now on a second book that's about dating. Tell us about the title of that book yeah so it's called i'm more dateable than a plate of refried beans which is um first it's true Mm -hmm. and second it's sort of like derived from the titles of one of the pieces in the book Mm -hmm. i mean the book is sort of like satire about dating so the title definitely is meant to mock how absurd dating is like there are times where i would just rather do literally anything than go on a date and i go on a (laughs) date anyway and i like the title is about me being more dateable than a plate of refried beans, but I don't know if I would say the same about all the people I've gone on dates with. Like oh my God. I've gotten so many DMs on Tinder that's like, I could have a better conversation with a plate of beans, for real. Yeah. <laughs> Especially refry. Yeah. They have a lot to say. They've been through so much. They do, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dating, before you got into this writing and comedy career, you actually did a blog where you were analyzing the data from dating profiles and your online dates. What did that analysis of data reveal about dating or about yourself? 
I think the most like intense statistical insight I ever had was that I'd like hooked up with a lot of guys who went to Cornell and (laughs) uh, yeah, that was really my big statistical insight. And then other than that, it was like, you should not go on dates with people who start the conversation with like, you know, like a comment about my appearance or something, which I think Mm. I could have intuited. (laughs) That's very good advice. Uh, Last thing I wanted to ask you about is you and Helen have something in common, which is that on Twitter, someone else has a handle with your name. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry, Helen. So Helen was not able to get at Helen Hong. You were not able to get at Ginny Hogan. Ginny, I feel you you so hard on this. I'm so sorry, Helen. Should we try to bully them all? uh, Believe me, I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) Who has yours? Do you, have, have you contacted them? Someone who never uses it. Yes! Like they haven't tweeted. Oh, that's that's so the most annoying part. Yes. So annoying. It's like yeah. you're squandering this precious at Helen Hong handle. Well, one of the things I want to ask you about Twitter as well is that, of course, being a funny woman on Twitter, you, of course, have to block a lot of people who <laughs> want to say awful things. But you have posted your email address there. And I understand that you receive apologies from a lot of the people that you blocked via email. Uh, how many of those apologies do you end up accepting and end up being a pleasant interaction? Honestly, too many. It's really just like such a disaster that I interact with anyone after I block them. It's just, like such an intense time suck. But I do get apologies that are like, I'm so sorry. I'm like going through a divorce. My kids won't talk to me. And I'm like, I don't I don't know. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, Ginny, I love following you on Twitter and I love that you joined us today. Ginny Hogan, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Bridger and Ginny, we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Bridger, you said you know a lot about the movie Clifford, 1990s power pop, and Utah cuisine. Whereas, Ginny, you said you know a lot about the TV show Gilmore Girls, the history of Facebook, and sobriety memoirs. Later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you get an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, Mini Driver. First up is Bridger with Mini. Bridger, while they might both describe things that aren't mini, what's the difference between small and little? Small and little. I'm going to say small describes physical size while little describes quantity. Quantity. All right. We have Bridger's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Ginny, if you don't think he's got it right, you can steal. What do you think? I think small, you can just use kind of without comparison. You can just label something as small, whereas mm-hmm. little is relative to big. Like you would mm-hmm. only have like a little house in relative to a big house. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this segment is drawing little interest. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. While small and little can often be used interchangeably, there is a difference. Small, of course, means not large and is used to describe the diminutive size of someone or something. A small mouse, a small pebble, a small affair. Little can also mean not large and be used in the same way as small, but little can also mean not much and used to describe a quantity, a little wine, a little candlelight, both of which can lead to a little something-something. They sure can. (laughs) That's right. And for those listening who think we may have gotten this wrong, don't be so small. Have a little compassion. Helen, how did our guest do? I think Bridger got both points. I think he did as well. Congratulations, Bridger. Two points for you. All right. Up next in Mini Driver is Ginny with Driver. Ginny, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I'll let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you would like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay. 
hit it. Hey, y'all. This is Greg Salvatore from Capel, Texas. My question for What's the Difference is, while they both might be a feature you'd look for on a Mini or any other car, what's the difference between all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive? My wife and I really love your show. It's the best. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much, Greg. All right, Ginny, you heard the question from Greg. What is the difference between all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive? Okay, so I don't know how to drive. So not only do I not know the difference, I don't actually know what either of those things are. (laughs) But I'm willing to take a guess. Okay. All-wheel drive maybe is if the car has eight wheels. It still applies Mm -hmm. to all of the wheels, whereas four-wheel drive would only be used on a car with four wheels. I don't even know if there are cars with eight wheels. I'm just (laughs) throwing it out there. All right. Well, we appreciate that you're giving out your best try. Let's see what Bridger thinks. Bridger, what do you think? I'm going to say that all-wheel drive means that you can you have the choice to drive with two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, depending on conditions, mm-hmm. while four-wheel drive is its own, either it's its own set thing, you're always in four-wheel drive, or mm-hmm. it's just the option of an all-wheel drive car. All right. Well, this segment is losing traction. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Four-wheel drive sends equal amounts of power to all four wheels at the same time, making all of them spin. It's a simple method to make sure you are getting the maximum amount of power to each wheel in an off-road situation. All-wheel drive is more complex. It sends power to each wheel as needed, spinning them individually. If you are in slippery conditions, it might engage all four wheels, but when you are cruising down the highway, it will probably engage fewer of them. That's right. Now, four-wheel drive is not recommended for street driving for a pretty good reason. In a tight turn, the wheels of the car should spin at different rates, but since they don't when you're in four-wheel drive, that causes extra wear on the tires and can make the car shudder. Of course, trying to make a left turn in Los Angeles can make anyone shudder. Am I right, guys? Huh, LA? (laughs) (laughs) Helen, how did our guest do? I think I'm going to give Bridger one point because uh, you did say all wheel has a choice between two or four, which is sort of in the ballpark, but neither one of you got four-wheel drive correct, so... This is the first thing to do with cars I've ever known or even gotten (laughs) close to knowing, so I am honored. Excellent. We know how to pick topics especially for our guests. All right. Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Bridger Weiniger has three points and Ginny Hogan has zero points. All right, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen from themselves. It's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, I have a very exciting update on Magic Spoon. You got more. I did get more, but this is an update. The last time I believe we spoke, I'm always getting more Magic Spoon. I love this stuff. But the last time we spoke about Magic Spoon cereal, I mentioned that a friend of mine had uh, said that he was going to order some, that we finally had broken him down with all of the ads that we've done. He's finally going to order some and wanted some recommendations for flavors. So Uh uh, I gave him my recommendations, and I got this exciting text from him. says, I enjoyed your anonymous shout-out on Go Fact Yourself. I love Magic Spoon. Oh, yay! The system works. Whoa! And it's so easy to understand why someone would love Magic Spoon. It's got everything you love about those cereals from when you were a kid. It's got the flavors and the crunch and the colorful milk that's left over that you get to slurp up at the end. It's so great. But guess what? It's also healthy. Healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring thanks to Magic Spoon with those amazing flavors you love without all the carbs and the sugar. It's also a pretty good midnight snack right before bed. Uh, Helen, tell them about this health stuff because I still can't believe it. 
Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Oh, those flavors are so great, and they're really fun to combine. My latest shipment, I put together peanut butter and cocoa. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Helen, what should people do to get Magic Spoon? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code gofact to save $5 off. Relent, relent, and order your Magic Spoon. <laughs> you will enjoy it. Thank, Thank you, Magic Spoon. Hey, folks, it's me, James Arthur M., host of Minority Corner, your home through these bewild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. Y'all, we have been in a panorama for a whole year. The Ponda replay has been going (laughs) for... We've been a Ponderosa for a year. <laughs> Wonder Woman doesn't like, even get to fly her own invisible jet. That was another thing. I was like, this is your jet. Think about the war on drugs. We must think of it as a war on black and brown and poor people to yes. only uphold the caste system of America. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together we're the majority. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Bridger Weiniger and Ginny Hogan. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Bridger, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the movie Clifford, 1990s power pop, and Utah cuisine. Let's definitely find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you chose the movie Clifford as one of your topics. Very few movies have I enjoyed since I was in fourth grade and still enjoy them now. Martin Short is plays a 10-year-old boy. I think he was 40 at the time that he played the 10-year-old boy. It's just got it all. Wait, I, I am not familiar with this movie. Does this movie have anything to do with a big red dog? Zero. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Sorry, Helen's out now. She needs all of her movies there's, to have big red no dogs. There's no big red dog after the word Clifford? I'm out. <laughs> I do remember an early piece of advertising... Uh, at least this is from my memory, there was something that compared it to The Big Red Dog, but it has nothing to do with the children's book. As far as I'm concerned, this is the only Clifford that matters. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, you also said you know a lot about 1990s power pop. From basically eighth grade until graduating from college, that was the main music I listened to. As kind of a scrawny, insecure person, that sort of music (laughs) really spoke to me. And I just think that it kind of is, for whatever reason, power pop in general never quite gets the due it's owed. It's catchy, it's fun, it's kind of for everybody. I don't know, I have a good time listening to it. And how do you define power pop? Loud, fuzzy guitars, 
catchy melodies, maybe kind of Beatles or Beach Boys influenced. Hmm. And, you know, occasionally you can throw in a Moog synthesizer or something like this, uh, which is maybe my favorite sound in the world. And that, that's all, it, you know, harmonies, vocal harmonies, this kind of thing, just catchy, loud music. Fantastic. All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about Utah cuisine. I do. I grew up in uh, right outside of Salt Lake City, and so Utah has, you know, a few, uh, some of it disgusting, some of it disgusting-seeming <laughs> types of food that I'm very familiar with. Some of them do sound awful, but taste fantastic. Some of them sound awful and taste awful. Like, like what? I am completely unfamiliar with Utah cuisine. So uh, one that sounds awful and, uh, at least in my opinion, tastes awful is like, let's say, jello with carrots inside of it. Sh- mm. uh, oh, shredded yeah. carrots, this kind of thing. There's... <laughs> wow. I mean, it's, it's inventive. It's in- I don't know that I would say. I feel like inventive is a positive thing. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to summarize, Bridger, you said you know a lot about the movie Clifford, 1990s power pop, and Utah cuisine. Today we're going to quiz you about 1990s power pop. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Who are some of your favorite power pop artists from that era? The first two Weezer albums I absolutely adore. The band Supergrass. They're a British band that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Super Drag. There's a lot of super, super furry animals. <laughs> super Chunk. Ash. There's a British band called Ash. That Dog is a great band. Mm. I mean, the 90s was just ripe with uh, Matthew Sweet. I could go on and on and on. There's so many great, the Lemonheads. Uh, it's, the list is extremely long. Excellent. Well, I have a feeling some of those are going to show up in this quiz. Uh, Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a modified expert in your topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Bridger, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you'll add a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Ginny, do listen closely because if Bridger answers incorrectly, you can steal. Ginny, by the way, how much do you know about 1990s power pop? Literally nothing. So this is going to be great. (laughs) I've never even heard of the term so you've not have you heard of the 1990s uh vaguely yeah vaguely you're so young we're all so so young here all right bridger here's question number one one of the most notable female artists in power pop is juliana hatfield who worked in the 1990s both as a solo artist as the leader of the juliana hatfield three and in 1992 as bass player of another prominent power pop man the lemonheads that year, the Lemonheads made waves with a power pop cover of a Simon and Garfunkel song that had hit number one in 1968 and was named after a character in the movie The Graduate. What was that song? Mrs. Robinson. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, Juliana Hatfield played on the Lemonheads album that year, but not on Mrs. Robinson, which was added to a reissue of the album. Also, according to reports, Paul Simon hated the newer version of the song, and Art Garfunkel loved it. Tore them apart. It tore them apart. <laughs> yes, future retroactively, it tore them <laughs> apart. All right, here's question number two. Working on his band's self-titled debut album, vocalist Stephen Jenkins attempted to write a song that could serve as San Francisco's answer to Lou Reed's glam rock classic, Walk on the Wild Side, right down to the one-syllable chorus repeating the word do. He wound up creating 1997's song of the summer, Semi-Charmed Life. What was the name of Jenkins' band who released this mega hit? Third Eye Blind. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. You did not need the hint in this question, but I know, Helen, you were eager to give it. Helen, what would that hint have been? It's not second nose deaf. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) 
Yes. It is not. Yes. It is third eye blind. I'll be here all day. I, I hope so. I hope I so, the, Helen. I host the show, so I kind of I have to be here all day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fun fact: the single of "Semi Charmed Life" went gold, selling over six hundred thousand copies. Wow. That's a catchy song. It really is. Yeah. Uh, doot, doot. I, and I, I had to look up whether it was "do" or "doot." There's a lot of debate <laughs> about this. Listeners, don't let us know what you think. <laughs> All right, question number three. Bridger, no discussion of 1990s power pop is complete without mentioning one of the biggest acts of the decade, Weezer. Hailed not only for their music, but for their imaginative music videos. Viewed over 55 million times online, the 1994 video for Buddy Holly weaves in many characters from the TV show Happy Days. But which of the following characters is not seen in the video? Is it <laughs> Bridger already rolling his eyes and withdrawing from the whole experience? This is deeply unfair. Which of the following characters is not seen in the Buddy Holly video? Is it Al, Arnold, the Fonz, Joni, or Chachi? Ooh. With the caveat that I didn't say that I was an expert of 70s sitcoms, I'm going to say <laughs> Chachi. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> you might be more oh of an God. expert on other topics than you knew. <laughs> That's right, Chachi is not in the video. The others are. Fun fact, one of the reasons that video became so popular is because it was included on the installation CD for the Windows 95 operating system. <laughs> the 90s were a special time, weren't they? <laughs> Every operating system should come with a music video. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, I think uh, iTunes came with a U2 album that people got very upset about oh, some years that's ago. Right. Well. Right. Oh, gosh, I remember that. Ugh. It's a bad memory. I still shudder. <laughs> All right, Bridger, you are three for three. Here's question number four. Speaking of Weezer, in the 1990s, Weezer often toured with a band who also contributed to Weezer's recordings. That band was a force of their own, and unlike most of the bands who you might think of as 1990s power pop, predominantly had female members. Two of those female members were not only daughters of an accomplished musician, but triplets to boot. What was the name of this band? It's that dog, and it's the Hayden sisters. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You happen to mention them as one of your favorites, and that dog is correct. You did not need the hint. Helen, what would that hint have been? It's not this cat. <laughs> huh? Huh? I'm still here, guys. I'm, I'm still, <laughs> oh, good. I was worried. I was worried right, you might I'm have stepped away. right here. <laughs> She's still right here. Fun fact, those two triplets, as you mentioned, are the Haydens, Rachel Hayden and Petra Hayden, daughters of the jazz great Charlie Hayden. Bonus fun fact, I went to high school with the Hayden triplets, and oh. to make sure that that dog is considered 1990s power pop, I asked Rachel on Facebook. Oh, that's great. I'm disturbed that they're triplets and one of the triplets didn't make it into the band. Like, there's something, <laughs> there's some weird family dynamics going on in there, huh? Well, I believe they had recorded and toured as the Hayden triplets, but this project, it was just, uh, it was just the two of them. Okay, mm-hmm. there's some tension there. Mm-hmm. Helen does not buy it. Mm-hmm. All right, Bridger, you're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five, and you still have not used any of your hints. Here's question number five. We began the quiz by asking about a mix of decades, and we'll end the same. In October of 1991, Matthew Sweet released his classic power pop album, Girlfriend. The album's cover features a photo from the late 1950s of a young woman who was later nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress of 1977. Who was this actress and album cover woman? Oh, I have no idea. I can picture her, but I could not tell you. Even, I mean, we could try a hint. Let's give it a, a hint, a shot. Let's blow through my hints here. Helen, how about that first hint? It's the day of the week that comes after Monday, 
and the method you use to fuse together steel. Oh, <laughs> Tuesday. I wait. Uh, How do you commonly fuse together steel, Bridger? I I am <laughs> I'm at a total loss here, and now all of my mechanics jobs are going out the window. <laughs> this cannot air. This this has got to go Tuesday. Tuesday weld. Helen. That is correct. That That's is correct. <laughs> that is a name. Yes. And Bridger Weiniger, you were five for five. Congratulations. Oh, I really wish I could have made it through without the hints. That was the goal, but you do what you can do. I love that you're like, ugh, and I had to use a hit. Okay, overachiever. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact, Tuesday Weld was Oscar nominated for the movie Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Matthew Sweet had originally titled the album Nothing Lasts, but changed it because Tuesday Weld didn't want her photo on an album that said Nothing Lasts. (laughs) Fair. Fair indeed. All right, Bridger, you obviously did very well in that category, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Bridger, former Trip Shakespeare guitarist Dan Wilson entered the power pop pantheon in 1998 when his band released one of the decade's most enduring hits, Closing Time. Written by Wilson for the group's second album, the track rocketed to the top of the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart and earned a 1999 Grammy nomination for Best Rock Song. For up to three points, what was the band that performed Closing Time? What was the name of their platinum album on which it appeared? And what 2011 movie starring Mila Kunis used the song as a recurring bit, causing the song to reappear on singles charts around the world? Oh, well, I can tell you the band is Semisonic. Okay. Now I'm just, I'm flying blind here. I think uh, I'm going to just guess the album was called Closing Time. Okay. And now, you know, my Mila Kunis knowledge is so deep. Yes. <laughs> I know you almost chose that as one of your topics in addition. <laughs> I beg to. You. In addition to Happy Days. Please ask me about Mila. Was there a movie called No Strings Attached? Is that a movie she could have been in? I can't tell you that now. But, I mean, that's my uh, answer. That go that's my gonna, answer. I'm going to go with No Strings Attached. Yes. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of those answers, and we have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a Grammy-winning songwriter, producer, and performer who helped lead the 1990s power pop movement from the band Semisonic. (laughs) It's Dan Wilson. You're kidding. Hello, Dan Wilson. Oh, my God. This is incredible. (laughs) <laughs> this is someone who's written not just that song, but a billion other songs we've all heard a million times. Absolutely. Dan, we're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Pretty very happy to be here, and I've, I've just been giggling during the, my silent listening of the segments. It's been so fun. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, as Bridger mentioned, uh, not only did you do wonderful work with Semisonic, you've also worked with folks like Taylor Swift, Chris Stapleton, Pink, Tom Morello, Halsey, John Legend, and you won Grammys for works with The Chicks, formerly The Dixie Chicks, and Adele. And I understand uh, that you're actually joining us from being in session uh, right now. Tell us uh, what you're working on and, and what is a, a session of songwriting like for you? Today, I'm actually working on two things. I have a new single that I'm going to put out in a couple of months called Dancing on the Moon, and I'm trying to get the mix just right. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on some new tracks that Semisonic recorded in the past summer. We got back together. Oh, and- cool. Incredible. So cool. You've been called a songwriter's songwriter because you work especially so well with others. What's the key to a good collaboration on writing a a hit song? You just have to know how to hang. Mm. (laughs) 
can no. hang. I can hang. Well, <laughs> yeah. you're a songwriter. Congratulations, Helen. You're now a songwriter. <laughs> I love working with artists that can take an idea that I blurt out and fold it into their thing. Like make it, like exploit it, you know, mm. for their purpose. I like that so much. And it's not, you know, it's, it's not easy to have that skill. Is like ability to hang on your resume, like the first thing <laughs> on your resume, like, hey man, I can hang. Also, I can write songs. <laughs> a good hang, a good hang. And a something might result. Yeah. Well, you talk about writing, performing, and collaborating on your Instagram, and that actually led to a, a physical product that uh, you created. Tell us about this uh, Dan Wilson words and music deck. For a long time, I've been putting short, like, pithy statements on my Instagram, just, like, hoping that they're helpful to songwriters. Like, for example, one that I like is, um, if you like it, then it's good. <laughs> if it sounds good to you, then it sounds yeah. good. The listeners can't hear this, but I'm, I'm sure you guys that made a deck of cards Whoa. that has all these, you know, uh, pithy statements about music. And I, I know, I've been selling them online. Uh, I guess songwriters like to have them at the session because they can randomly pick one up and get a jolt of somebody else's perspective. If you're posting them on Instagram, just wait a couple of years and they'll be misattributed to Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> Dude, I've, there's this thing at the end of closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. It got jokingly attributed to this Roman philosopher <laughs> called Seneca the Elder. <laughs> the only thing I'm bitter about in my whole musical life. <laughs> I mean, just think, like, it could have been Gandhi. Why not Gandhi? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that I would have taken, sure, if it was someone cooler than Selig the Elder. We talked about your winning Grammys for the collaborations that you had with the Chicks and Adele. For those who don't know, those mega hits were some of the really greatest pop songs of the last few years. One was Not Ready to Make Nice from the Chicks. The other was Someone Like You from Adele. Like, yeah. huge, big Stop it. Yeah, big, big songs. What were your Grammy experiences like? It was really fun. Semisonic went to a Grammys and we lost. Mm -hmm. And, and behind us uh, was the band, the Bare Naked Ladies, mm -hmm. who also lost during the same show, but they <laughs> lost before we did. Yeah. During the whole time that we were being like proposed and then we lost. Yeah. Bare Naked Ladies behind us were yelling, losers. <laughs> <laughs> the second time, um, was with the chicks. I found I couldn't tell if I was running or walking in slow motion. Um, when they announced that we had won for the song, mm -hmm. my, my peripheral vision went away. <gasps> I could only see the center of my visual field. Wow. And I followed it like a tunnel up onto the stage. Whoa. Finally, Natalie Maines, the lead singer of the band, who had the microphone, said, I don't know what to say. You, you talk, Dan. <laughs> this is when you needed your pithy cards. <laughs> I'm going to make a new deck that instructs you what to say when you win the award. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about Semisonic and Closing Time. You actually wrote that song for a very specific purpose. Tell us about that. Maybe three purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, my band was very impatient. I used to write the set lists for all of our shows, and I'm very, very content with doing the same thing again and again in my life. Like I can eat the same breakfast for four years, you know, it's like fine. Same with set lists, but my guys in the band would get very impatient with the same set every night. So they're always asking me to shake it up and, and move things around. And then finally they said, we need a new song to close with. So I just had this in the back of my mind. I got to write a song about to close the shows. And at the same time, my, my wife was pregnant and we were expecting our first kid. Initially I, I was like, oh, I'm going to write a song called Closing Time. I started basically writing it as the last 
song, song and a gig. gig. Mm. But halfway through, I, I don't know what got into me, but it seemed like a giant pun about being born and getting bounced from the womb. Mm. What? <laughs> yes. What? When I was finished, I was so delighted with myself because almost every line in the song, you know what, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> <laughs> this room won't be open until your brothers or your sisters come. Whoa. I thought it was so clever. And also, it was from the heart, but it was mostly about bar time. <laughs> then I didn't tell anyone, and no one picked up on the double meaning, so I just let it, I just let it rest. I and... mean, that's a, that's a big reach to be like, you know what, this song must be about getting bounced <laughs> from the womb. <laughs> like... I got one email from a 16-year-old girl in Utah, actually. She wrote me and said, I know this is really weird, and I haven't heard anyone say this, but... Is it possible that Cozy Time is about being born? <gasps> this is like the one person who said it. Wow. Know? Utah gets it. Utah gets it. You mentioned that you've uh, recently reunited with Semisonic. Uh, what was it like to be back together and making music again? It was great, first of all. John and Jacob and I have been friends all, all this time. Like when we weren't touring, when we were touring. For the longest time, I couldn't write a song that sounded like the band. I had written so many other things for so many other people and I had sort of veered off into kind of an, a, a folky Americana vibe in my own music and none of it sounded like 90s power pop. And then I had a meeting with Liam Gallagher from Oasis, mm -hmm. from the band Oasis. And I was so inspired and happy and he was so funny and he was, he perfectly fit the part. It was exactly what I wanted. And then I wrote several ideas that I thought he and I can work on together and when I listened to him again, I thought, no, that actually these are semi-sonic songs. Mm. These are my first semi-sonic songs in like 17 years. So I, I called up the guys and said, I think I've written some stuff for us. <laughs> By accident. Accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. Was Liam Gallagher mad? Uh, he wasn't mad. Also, the funniest part of that is we had the meeting. He left me so tickled and it was, and he was just delightful. It was great. And then played him a couple songs and we were all excited. And I wrote these ideas like in three days or five days, I sent them to England to him and his management. And the manager got back to me really quickly and said, oh, I'm so sorry. We're done with the album. We, <laughs> we they had forgotten that it was oh, finished. Not and a good hang, guys. <laughs> literally a week had passed. I was so excited I sent them. But then I listened again. I was like, no, these aren't for Liam anyway. Last thing I want to ask you about before we get to our game. Uh, I saw in an early interview that you said that you would love to try playing with Prince. And I know that uh, you've covered Prince and you're from Minnesota. Did you ever get the chance to, to work or hang with Prince? No, a couple of my bands recorded at Paisley Park, his studio, and we all, all the bands I've been in have covered Prince songs, for better or worse. <laughs> I was at a show at the Beacon Theater in New York, a Cheryl Crow show, and I was backstage because I was going to um, sing harmony on the song as we friends. And uh, I was wandering the stairwells nervously, and I walked up to the landing on one of the stairwells on the, like the fourth or fifth floor. And right in front of me was Prince, <gasps> alone and using glowing. And I immediately just, I gave him a little spiel. I said, I'm Dan Wilson. I'm so happy to meet you. I've, I've recorded with Paisley Park, but we've never had a chance to meet. I just want to let you know, you've you gave my bands and my whole community some sort of cosmic permission to stay in Minneapolis and just make music from our home. And he was like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, you know, I talked to a friend of his and I was like, yeah, I don't even know if he knew who I was, but it was so great. And the friend said, are you kidding? He's the most competitive man in the world and you have hits and you're from his hometown. Of course <laughs> and so many people would love to get an aha from Prince. I mean, that, that puts you way <laughs> ahead of the gang. 
He's beautiful. Oh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question we asked of Bridger about the song Closing Time. First, we wanted to know, what was the band that performed Closing Time? Helen, what did Bridger say? Bridger said Semisonic. And Dan Wilson? Nicely done, yes. Oh, Very good. That is a point for Bridger. <laughs> Next, we wanted to know, what was the name of the platinum album that uh, included the hit Closing Time? Helen, what did Bridger say? Bridger said Closing Time. And Dan? Ooh, ooh. Well, it's um, Feeling Strangely Fine. Feeling oh, Strangely Fine. No points there. I'm sorry. And then finally, I wanted to know what 2011 movie starring Mila Kunis used the song as a recurring bit, which prompted the song to reappear on singles charts around the world. Helen, what did Bridger say? Bridger said, no strings attached. And Dan? That's actually kind of close. It's um, Friends with Benefits. Oh! Uh, the other movie about friends who end up doing it and all that. Sorry, Good no point Lord. there, but, uh, but you were definitely in the ballpark. Before you let our expert go, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to Dan Wilson? Uh, my only other question is, if, could you, if you could write a song for any 90s power pop band, uh, who would you pick? Ooh. Nice question, Richard. Yeah, I like that one. I mean... It was so, like, Oasis was so powerful that it wasn't power pop. It just destroyed, you know, <laughs> right. like a punk band that became the Incredible Hulk in a way. But <laughs> and, and apparently they don't open their emails in time to uh, let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, it's been a pleasure hanging with you. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they do that? Uh, well, I'm Dan Wilson Music on a lot of things. On um, Twitter and on Instagram and on Instagram, you can see my, my pithy, helpful um, <laughs> statements about music and... Uh, that's probably the place to go. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Dan Wilson, everybody. What a pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Bridger Weiniger has nine points, and Ginny Hogan has zero points, with a round of questions for Ginny coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Ginny about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Bridger and Ginny will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups and go to the gym to maintain physical wellness and prevent injury and disease. Well, going to therapy is like all of that. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Therapy doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It can be more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not your mind? We're glad that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and you'll be glad that Go Fact Yourself listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash GoFact. That's BetterHelp.com slash GoFact. B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash GoFact, G-O-F-A-C-T. Thank, Thank you, you better, better help. help. Prepare yourself for the greatest pro wrestling podcast spectacular known as Tights and Fights. A back-dropping audio showcase that helps you understand the world of pro wrestling with a lot of love and no toxic masculinity. Featuring host Danielle Radford. Time to kick butt and chew gum. And I'm all out of butts. Lindsay Cow. I'm a brutal Brit and my fists were made to punch and hit. And Hal Lublin. 
I was doing the voiceover this whole time. Hear us talk about pro wrestling's greatest triumphs and failures. And make fun of its weekly absurdities. On the Perfect Wrestling Podcast. Tights and fights. Every Saturday, Saturday, Saturday on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Bridger Weiniger and Ginny Hogan. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Ginny Hogan, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about the TV show Gilmore Girls, the history of Facebook, and sobriety memoirs. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those first. Tell us what the TV show Gilmore Girls means to you. Okay, well, it's my favorite television show. I would consider it my favorite comedy and my favorite drama, and... I've watched it like all the way through several times, except not the year in the life, which I was rewatching. That's the uh, Netflix uh, sort of reboot of it. Yeah. Yes. I just never have a bad experience watching it. It's the right show for any mood. Yeah. One of my one of my all time favorite things is Gilmore Girls. Very, very cool. All right. You also said you know a lot about the history of Facebook. I do think Facebook's a pretty fascinating company. I used to work there and I do like a lot of the stories about like the early Facebook days and kind of just tracking where it all went wrong because it turned out to be such a disaster that seemed like it's just like I recently read a book called The Ugly Truth that almost was written like it could be adapted into a screenplay very easily like every chapter ended on a cliffhanger where some Facebook executive makes some terrible decision like I just think it's like (laughs) it's just sort of like their, their slow descent into evilness and kind of what the roots are and trying to pinpoint exactly where it went wrong and so you're saying there was a point where it was not terrible and then things turned I think that there was a point where the intention was for it to not be terrible, like, but I don't think they like put the right safeguards in place to ensure that that wouldn't happen. But I don't think that they set out to like exploit people's data and undermine democracy. But I who think does? They... <laughs> who means to? It's just... Yeah, there's a lot of money in it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. turns out. Uh, all right, and then finally, you said you know a lot about sobriety memoirs. Okay, I I really like reading sobriety memoirs. I'm currently writing a sobriety memoir, and I've just read so many of them. Like, sobriety lends itself to such a cool narrative because it is, like, it's almost, like, defined by a climax, you know, like a rock bottom and then sort mm-hmm. of, like, a recovery and a happy ending. So I think that they're they're really fun to read and very inspirational. And I'm a recovering alcoholic, so that's why I like them. Oh. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So to summarize, Jenny, you said you know a lot about the TV show Gilmore Girls, the history of Facebook, and sobriety memoirs. Today we're going to quiz you about the TV show Gilmore Girls. Yay. Yay, indeed. I actually am a fan of the show as well. I've watched every episode as well, not as many times as you have. Were there any particular characters or relationships that you identified with on the show? I have to be honest. I think this is like an obnoxious thing to say, but I really do relate to Rory. Um, I'm very like... I can be very quiet and there's also like an entitlement to Rory that I definitely think I have like the way that she kind of goes off the rails anytime something goes mildly wrong like the way that like (laughs) that I strongly relate to like how she drops out of Yale because she gets one bad review at her internship is so over dramatic (laughs) the kind of I it is the kind of thing I do all right well just ahead we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our three-part question but before that to give you a chance to show off here are five trivia questions about your topic each worth one point if you want it you're allowed a total of two hints in these five questions now Bridger do listen closely because you can steal if Ginny gets any wrong by the way Bridger how much do you know about the tv show Gilmore Girls I know as much about Gilmore Girls as Ginny knows about 90s power pop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I've never seen a second of it but is Carrie Russell in it? No. We'll find out. Oh, uh, Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> no, no. no. I think you might be thinking of Felicity. Felicity. <laughs> yes. Or the Americans. I shamefully have not seen any of Gilmore Girls. I, I, I've heard it's wonderful. 
<laughs> All right, Jenny, here's question number one. Gilmore Girls was a bright spot for the fledgling TV network where it first aired in 2000, and another bright spot for the network that that network became in 2006. What is the name of either of those networks, which also aired Seventh Heaven, Smallville, and Supernatural, and now airs Riverdale, Supergirl, and Dynasty? The WB and then the CW. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. We only wanted one, but you gave it both. Do I get two points? No. Okay. All right. Uh, Helen, Helen, can she get a bonus point for that? It's okay. Uh, how about half a point? Really? Okay, wow, yeah. another half a point. Wow. Yay. Fun fact, Gilmore Girls aired its first episode on October 5th, 2000, and its final episode on May 15th, 2007, before being revived for a special on Netflix in 2016. All right, Jenny, question number two. Gilmore Girls took place in a very quirky Connecticut town filled with lovable characters and a fantastic gazebo. What was the name of this adorable town? Stars Hollow. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, the Stars Hollow gazebo is actually on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank and is part of the studio tour. Wow. Here's question number three. I have a feeling you're going to get this one. As played by Alexis Bledel, Rory was one smart cookie. In fact, she was so smart, she was accepted into several prestigious schools. Which Ivy League school did Rory end up attending? Yale. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, other TV characters whom the internet says went to Yale include Veep's Selena Myers, Frazier's Niles Crane, and The Simpsons' Mr. Burns. All right, Dinny, you're three for three. Here's question number four. Gilmore Girls had a great cast, and it also had great guest stars. But which of the following people, all of whom had a claim way before the TV show, did not appear on Gilmore Girls? Was it Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, singer-songwriter Paul Anka, talk show host Dick Cavett, singer-songwriter Carol King, or Pulitzer-winning author Norman Mailer? I'll take a hint. Helen, how about that first hint? Norman Mailer did appear on Gilmore Girls. Okay, I'm going to go with Dick Cavett. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very nice, Jenny. Fun fact, Madeline Albright appeared as herself in a dream that Rory had where she was her mom. Paul Anka, which was the name of Lorelai's dog, played himself on the episode titled The Real Paul Anka. Carol King, who sang the show's theme song, played the owner of a music store. Norman Mailer appeared in the episode titled Norman Mailer, I'm Pregnant. Dick Cavett did not appear on Gilmore Girls, but did appear as an expert on episode 22 of Go Fact Yourself. Ooh. All right, Jenny, you are four for four of a chance to go five for five, just like Bridger did, if you can get this question correct. Gilmore Girls had so many great scenes that sometimes there wasn't enough room for all of them to air, and instead some landed in the DVD extras. In season three, for instance, a scene was cut from the episode Good Night Gracie, where Rory visits her grandparents for movie night, only to find that they've set up a little movie theater complete with film projector, refreshments, and an usher. What movie were they set up to watch? I'm going to need a hint. I didn't have the DVD set. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? The movie starred Britney Spears, and Webster's defines its one-word title as the place of intersection of two or more roads. Crossroads? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Ginny Hogan is five for five. So fun. What a game we got going here. Fun fact, the actor who played the usher in that scene was... Me! I played the usher in so that cool. scene on Gilmore Girls oh my that got cut. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to watch it now. I'm for sure going to go back and watch it. Bonus fun fact, I did not know I'd been cut until after the show aired. My grandmother, who was watching in Kentucky, wondered if I had played the body in the casket that was shown in an earlier scene, and then complained that I made her stay up and watch that, quote, god-awful show. I still put it on my resume. 
Ginny, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Ginny, while the show Gilmore Girls was primarily about the friendship between mother and daughter, each had friendships outside the family, too. In fact, Rory had a friend who appeared on over 100 episodes, and that friend had her own mom to deal with, a religious mom who disapproved of most of the secular American activities that her daughter enjoyed with Rory. For up to three points, what was the name of this friend of Rory? In what denomination of Christianity was this friend raised by her religious mom? And who played this friend? Her name was Lane Kim. Okay. Can I do the third part next? Sure. She was played by Kiko Agina. Um, okay. And what denomination of Christianity? I'm going to go with Baptist, with- but I, I'm not sure. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on how to tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is an actor whose recent credits include Better Call Saul and Prodigal Son, and who for over 100 episodes played (gasps) Rory's friend on Gilmore Girls. It's Keiko Agena. Keiko Agena. Yeah. There she is. It's so nice to meet you. Hi. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everybody. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Thank you, Keiko, for joining us so much. Before we get to any of the other things, let's get your name down. How is it pronounced correctly, and what do you uh, tell people to help them remember it? Sure. So for 100 points, my name is pronounced (laughs) Keiko Agena, and I tell people it's like cake that you want again. Ah, very nice. In other words, like all cakes. Yes, exactly. You'll never forget it. Excellent. And I understand that uh, you are here in part because you and Helen are acquainted. Tell us about that. Yes. Hi, Helen. Hi, Keiko. Nice to see you. Nice to see you again. We we are Asian people in uh, Los Angeles, so so we know each other. Oh, is that how it works? Okay. Asian Hollywood, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, not all Asian people. I guess I should have clarified, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's get into your uh, wonderful career. I have been binge-watching ER from the beginning, and I was so delighted to see that you were on the show. And that was before (laughs) Gilmore Girls, but I understand that was not your first role. Tell us what was. Oh, sure. Uh, My very first role was on this show called Renegade. I doubt that anyone will remember the show. Lorenzo Lamas? Oh, sorry. I I guess the mullet on the motorcycle? Yeah. I played a kidnapped teenager. Most of my lines were, mm, 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 and I acted a lot with my eyes. <laughs> you started acting early then, because I feel like you were so young on Gilmore Girls. Well, it's all a lie, Helen. It's all Oh, whoa. Asian's no reason. Yep. <laughs> I say rice stays nice, but yeah. Nice. I'm going to steal that. Rice steal stays it. nice. Yeah. Yep. I was interested in finding out that you have a background in improv, but that came later in your career. I think I took my first at, uh, improv class in 2005, so I was mm-hmm. still on Gilmore Girls. But the bulk of my improv experience actually was after the show. I actually just joined um, Impro. I'm one of their newest company members. This is my newest group that I just oh, uh, cool. joined out here in Los Angeles. Yes. And uh, you actually wrote a book that was based on improv, but also a mix with mindfulness. Tell us about this book called No Mistakes. Yeah, so I was approached um, after a podcast, actually. There was a podcast called The Gilmore Guys. Mm -hmm. And I had talked about some artwork that I had been doing and that how some people, after seeing some of this artwork, had mentioned that if I had ever wanted to do a coloring book, that they would be interested and they would buy it. An editor had listened to the podcast 
and had contacted me through that. And so it evolved from a coloring book to this uh, sort of self-help, more overall uh, book about creativity. And I, it's called No Mistakes. It's sort of my heart on a plate or my heart on a book, I guess. Oh, that's so lovely. Aww. So what I'm learning is that podcasts can lead to other things for people? Yeah. Yes. Interesting. I've seen, I've seen no evidence of that. When uh, does that start? When? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about Gilmore Girls. As I mentioned, I love the show as well. And as Helen mentioned, you look so young on that show, but you actually were not a teenager when you started that gig. No, I was 26. Unbelievable. At the audition. Wow. And what was it like to play a teenager? Had you been playing teen roles at that time already? Um, I hadn't been playing a whole lot, but just to give you some sense of you know, my, the way I look, if you ever get a chance to see my, uh, my high school yearbook picture, I look like I'm 12. It is frightening. <laughs> I look like, I, you would believe that I was a 12 year old. Yeah. Child. Same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, what's funnier to me person, no one else, well, my husband finds this funny is the look that I'm giving that is trying to be so sexy <laughs> as a high school student. I'm just like, I got this. Yeah. But I look 12. I had the exact same experience, and I actually used to do a joke in my stand-up act oh. for years about how I desperately wanted to be like a girl's gone wild in college, but I looked like a 12-year-old, and so <laughs> it was like wildly inappropriate for me to be a girl's gone yeah. wild, yeah. and I couldn't actually be a girl's gone wild until I was like almost 30, but by then I was like, what am I, girl's gone wild, the vitamin shop? Like, where am I, where, where am I girls gone wilding? Yeah, yeah it, tur- it, it turns out the girls gone tame videos didn't sell quite as well. <laughs> girls going to book club. Yeah. Yeah. Your character on Gilmore Girls is Korean-American. You are Japanese-American. Helen, as a Korean-American, would you like to yell at Keiko for playing a no, different ethnicity? No, because Keiko, you did such a good job. And you, I believed it. Yeah, I believed it. And like, I, you know, my sister is a huge fan of the show. And I, you know, I like the show too. And like, I think I thought you killed it. You, you did great. I totally bought it. I was like, that girl's Korean. And then I saw your name and I was like, that girl is not Korean. <laughs> How did you feel about that? And did you get any blowback? Because I imagine if that were to happen these days, there would be a lot of controversy about it. It would. I don't think that I would be cast Mm. in today's world. If they were to do a show like that, they would cast Korean. Or what would happen if they did love Emily and and myself, they would change the role to Japanese. It just would kind of happen. And that's something that you have to decide because Helen Pai, who the character is based off of, is Korean. So there's a lot to kind of navigate. Just one more great thing we get to, uh, yeah. a hurdle we get to overcome <laughs> yes. as Asian Americans. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there aren't enough. There aren't enough. We talked earlier about improv, but I understand on Gilmore Girls, you always had to be word perfect with these very dense scripts. And uh, I read that for a while you actually had nightmares <laughs> about that. Is that something that uh, that still occurs? Oh, sure. I mean, I had, I wouldn't say nightmares. I think I did post on Instagram that I had a stress dream recently. I had a oh, stress recently? dream okay. about that. Because Gilmore Girls scripts were also very dense. They were a lot longer than normal scripts Mm -hmm. because the characters spoke so quickly. By the way, Ginny, I will have to say that your normal pace is like of speaking is like your more face. Like I do not, I, I Keiko Denna, does do not speak as quickly as Lane does. You somehow speak the way the characters speak. Yes, because I watch so much. It's amazing. You, you definitely can relate to it. All right, well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Ginny. First, we wanted to know what was the name of Rory's friend who appeared on over 100 episodes? Helen, what did Ginny say? Ginny said Lane Kim. And Keiko? Ding, ding, ding. 
That is correct. That is correct for the point. Good job, Jenny. Next, we wanted to know, in what denomination of Christianity was this friend raised by her religious mom? Helen, what did Jenny say? Jenny said Baptist. And? I was raised Baptist, but Lane Kim... Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, oh, yes. Those college no point, that Jenny. she goes to. I remember now. No uh, point. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. No no point there, but a very reasonable mistake to make uh, in that case. And finally, wanted to know who played that friend on Gilmore Girls. Helen, what did Ginny say, but perhaps with better pronunciation? <laughs> Ginny meant Keiko Agena. And Keiko? A hundred points. A hundred points. Wow. I know I'm really skewing this. I apologize. (laughs) That is correct. Uh, Very nice. Another point there for Ginny. Uh, Keiko, before we let you go, Ginny, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to Keiko while we have her here? Uh, Well, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. I guess. Okay. So I, the food that Lane eats, like I was rewatching it, like the, the more I rewatch it or the older I get it, it's like, I lived in LA until very recently. It is like the kind, like what Mrs. Kim feeds her is like what everyone eats in LA. And like, but it, they make it look gross. And honestly, it is gross. But I'm wondering, did you have to eat it like on set? And was it actually these like tofu bars all the time and stuff? On Gilmore Girls, we didn't do a lot of practical eating, or at least I didn't. Practical meaning actual food that you <laughs> actually eat on camera. Yes, there would be prop food around mm-hmm. you know we didn't have time we were talking too much we had time to breathe and we had time to speak <laughs> and right. barely enough time for that's that. right you throw tofu in there who knows if we're gonna get those lines out yeah keiko it was such a pleasure to have you join us if people want to find out more about you and your work where can they do that i'm at keiko again on all the social medias because uh very few people have that name <laughs> so, oh, right what's that like? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry Ellen. I, I know. Oh, Keiko, I'm so jelly. There's so many freaking Helen Hongs out there. <laughs> and Jimmy Hogan's, it turns Jeez. out, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, such a pleasure to have you join us. The one, the only Keiko Thank again. Thank you very much. Bye. Keiko, right. great to see you. All right, Helen, what is our score as we go into the final round? At the end of that round, Bridger Weiniger has nine points and Ginny Hogan has seven and a half points. All right, now it's time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Bridger and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Bridger, in the United States, a jury in criminal cases decides whether a defendant is guilty or not guilty. True. Correct. Ginny, a jury in civil cases decides whether a defendant is liable or not liable. True. Correct. Bridger, trials by jury are mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. True. Correct. Ginny, a jury is mentioned in the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution. False. Incorrect. No, it really is. Bridger, a jury is mentioned in the Seventh Amendment. False. Incorrect. No, it really is. Ginny, a jury is mentioned in the Eighth Amendment. False. Correct. Yeah, that would be silly. Bridger, (laughs) a trial jury is also known as a grand jury. False. Correct. Ginny, a trial jury is also known as a pettit jury. True. Correct. Bridger, all federal trial juries are made up of 12 people. True. Incorrect. No, it doesn't have to be 12. Ginny, all federal trial juries are made up of at least six people. True. Correct. Bridger, I, J. Keith Van Stratton, have been a juror. True. Correct. Ginny, I voted guilty. False. Correct. Bridger, I voted not guilty. True. Incorrect. Ginny, I was removed from the jury before I could vote. True. Correct. (laughs) Bridger, just like I was removed from Gilmore Girls. True. And finally, Ginny, I still put it on my resume. True. 
Correct. <laughs> All right, we're not going to count those last few. I want to thank Bridger Weiniger and Ginny Hogan as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's game? Oh, it is such a tight game, J. Key, that the end of the game, Bridger Weiniger has 12 points and Ginny Hogan has 11 and a half points. Oh, oh. by such a slim margin. Congratulations, Bridger Weiniger. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Bridger, what will you do with your championship? I am never going to stop bragging. <laughs> that sounds just about right. Well, speaking of bragging, before everybody goes, we want to give everyone a chance to promote anything they might like for people to experience. Uh, Bridger Weiniger, where can people find you and your work? As we've talked about, I have a podcast called I Said No Gifts. It's a nice time. If you like a nice time, <laughs> give it a shot. And, uh, the, you know, then I'm on Instagram with I Said No Gifts and my name. Who? <laughs> that's, a you know, whatever. Oh, and there's a new show coming to Apple TV called The After Party that I think you should watch that I wrote on fun murder mystery if you're into that sort of thing. Oh, very good. Well, we're certainly into the sort of thing of having you on the show. We're so happy that we did. Bridger Weiniger. Thank you for having me. And Ginny Hogan, I know you've got this wonderful podcast as well. Where can people hear that and find out more about you? They can hear my podcast, Yes, We Mustard, on Audible. All the episodes are, are available now, and you can find me on Instagram at Twitter at, at Ginny Hogan underscore. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for underscoring our wonderful... Oh, no, I can't do it. I was trying. I was trying. You underscored the excellence of your game. Ah, forget it. Ginny Hogan, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. You guys are the professional writers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is Helen Hong. Helen, which of your many, many exciting projects would you like to mention today? Well, you can follow me on the socials at funny Helen Hong. Some other woman named Helen Hong has all my handles. That sounds familiar. <laughs> and uh, you can follow my YouTube adventures with my parents, Old Korean Dad Stories on YouTube. Excellent. Well, we're always happy to have the funny, the Helen, the Hong funny Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith and on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Ginny Hogan, Bridger Weiniger, Dan Wilson, Keiko Agena, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live someday, someday, Someday! It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Duke Manti 2 did. He, she, or they said, truly brilliant. The game setup is clever, hosts keep the show moving, and the guests are interesting. New favorite. Thanks, Duke Manti 2. Your review is my new favorite. Ellen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Additional writing and research for this episode by Clint Tauscher. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Special thanks to Joe Civic and Mike Crumper at Missing Peace Group, Mike Griffin at Make Good Content, Anne-Marie Pisano, Jim Grant, Penelope Elliston, Wendy Spiro, Sam Levine, Viet Pham, Mike Avellanos, Adam Needif, Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch Gilmore Girls again! 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 That's what babies do. 
<laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.